welcome back to the Gen X Voice podcast. I'm your host, Trish the Dish. And well, I gotta tell you guys, sometimes the podcasting life is a little tricky. Um, I wanna apologize in advance for the, um, the quality of this episode, but I really hope you dig in and just kind of um, lean into it because um, I really think this conversation's fantastic. We just, we had a really weird delay. Um, uh, after we recorded, Eileen told me that she's actually on 40 acres of land. And so um, might have had something to do with uh, the delay. So sometimes you might hear us talking over each other or, um, you know, maybe um, I, I tried to cut out all the delay, um, or maybe an extended laugh here or there, but it's because we, we just, we would have these weird pauses where we, you know, um, where we're waiting for the other person to comment or whatever, or join in the laughter or whatever. It was really funny, but, um, but we, we ended up having a really great conversation. Eileen opens up to us about, um, her, her family and some of the loss that she's, um, endured and how it propelled her into starting this um, this magazine called Women's Quarterly um, and dedicating it to um, uplifting women. Um, it was a really neat conversation. She she kind of digs into a little bit of her past of um, you know having only white friends for up until she was about thirty years old, and then she finally um, had uh, friends. Um, that were the same race as her and just kind of how um, white people treated her in rural America in the, you know, in the eighties and nineties growing up and how she, how she kind of um, how she dealt with how her own, her son's own um, experience as a kid growing up, um, how, how that was as well. Um, we also talk about um, the old, um, the old mentoring the youth and, um, you know, how, how people can write off the youth, um, rather than, um, well, I don't know. I, I think it's a, a really good episode. I, I feel like I'm giving a spoiler if I go too deep into that rabbit hole, but, um, you know, just kind of how, how are you mentoring them instead of writing them off? I guess I'll say it that way. Um, and, and kind of, we really do kind of break open that whole thing that I've been kind of curious about is like, do we need elders um, in our society? And um, Eileen had a really great thing to say about that. So again, if you can just sit through the um, little bits of uncomfortableness here and there, um, Eileen is really sharing some great knowledge and um yeah. And then I will be posting all the links to get to women's quarterly, um, for you all to enjoy and, um, yeah, just drink some of that positive energy from this conversation. Enjoy the show. Hi, Eileen. Hello. How are you doing today? Doing great. Awesome. Well, I'm so happy to have you here, Eileen, as we talked about, uh, quote unquote backstage, uh, I've been wanting to get you on my podcast since I started about a year ago. So thank you so, so much for um, finding the space and time to be on the Gen X Voice podcast today. Thank you for having me. Oh, <laughs> you're so welcome. Anyway, before we get too deep into any conversations, why don't you tell the listeners what year you were born and what generation you identify with? I was born in 1970. That's supposed to be a Gen X generation. I don't know if I identify with that generation or not. So I wasn't really sure how to answer that question. Um, I get along with all different types of generations. So I don't think there's one in particular that I identify with. Now, I mean, so yes, I'm supposed to be Gen X. I think I get along well with people born 1990 to 2000. And that's what exactly why I love to have people on is because a lot of people don't necessarily identify with their generation. And especially when there is um, such a difference between those of us born in the 70s, I feel, than those that are even born in the in the early part of Gen X, which is 1965 to 1970. So is there anything in particular that draws you to uh, the, the folks born 
in the sort of um, last part of the of the 20th century? My son is born in 1992, so I'm not sure if that's the reason. But I just feel like as I as I go through life, as I navigate through life, even on my social media posts, and they show you all the analytics and the ages of people who are um, mostly liking your posts and interacting and engaging, it's people in their you know early 20s to, to mid to late 30s. So I don't know. I guess they like me. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Nobody knows that I'm 50 years old. And, and so, you know, and when people interact with me, you just, it's your energy. It's, you know, it's not so much how you look, it's just you and how you present yourself, which I don't know. You know, I, I'm not on a stage. I'm not looking at myself in a mirror. So I have no clue. These are just the things that people collectively have said to me. So I'm just going to go with that. And what they say, that's my energy that I guess draws them. So maybe it's a youthful energy. I'm not sure. Well, hey, that's a pretty awesome compliment. And as a huge fan of uh, you, because we found each other on Instagram, and um, you are a part of the uh, Women's Quarterly um, digital magazine. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that beautiful positive energy that you are bringing to the internet that may be drawing such a younger crowd? I hopefully this answers in too long, but basically the background is my father died from ALS and I wanted to figure out how to raise money. I, I could never, you know, raise money. And I thought by going around and telling people, yeah, you know, I want to, you know, I'm doing this for ALS in memory of my father that people would donate because I never knew how that worked. But I, I just, I found that I couldn't even raise water. And so to this day, I don't even know how I got this idea but I told my team, I was like, let's do a magazine. And, you know, and then we leave so many spaces in the magazine for ads and anybody that pays for those ads, we can donate that money to ALS. And that's exactly what happened. Nobody, you know, wanted to do it in memory of my father, but they wanted to showcase their business. So um, we got the little magazine bug and we thought, okay, we want to do this as a product for our company and have a quarterly product where we produce this magazine every quarter, da, 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 da. Most of my connections were professional athletes, male athletes, um, NFL players. So the magazine was supposed to be for men. I'm the mother of a male child. And so I thought that would be great to do that. But then my sister died and um, she was just most of her adult life. She struggled with mental illness and eating disorders. And I thought I need to change my direction and try to do this magazine for women. I, I didn't really have a rapport with women. I, I come from a predominantly male family and I tend to do better collectively with men. So I was kind of, you know, I didn't know, you know, what, what it was going to be like. And it, it has been a struggle. It has been work. I really had to, to work to build this audience up, but I just keep reflecting on her memory because she didn't feel like she had a voice. And so this magazine gives women a voice to tell their stories. It also gives them a platform to talk about what they're doing if they want to build their business. Well, I definitely don't think that was too long-winded at all, Eileen. And by the way, as a podcast, you know, you you can be as as long-winded or short-winded as you want. I mean, that's what we're here for is to is to really celebrate you and um, and share your story. First, first, I want to say though, um, I'm so sorry to hear about so much loss in your life. Um, that that is an incredible um, situation to come across as as a human. Um, and so the respect that I have for you, just growing with each moment that you're speaking, um, because that is that is really living your life outwardly. Um, what do you think motivates that inside of you to to instead of, um, you know, shelter in and, and, and be, um, you know, feeling sorry for yourself and your loss and focusing on that. What do you think is in you that makes you want to serve um, humanity and then specifically women nowadays? When I was a teenager, I, I first realized this ability that God gave me to interact with people and my teachers and peers noticed it as well. And so they put me in this peer facilitator program to help other youth with, you know, suicide and teen pregnancy. And it could be something as little as schoolwork, difficulty or whatever. But then we had some tough subjects as well. We had to go through um, counseling to help these teens. I don't know what they saw in me and I don't know what was going on with me at the time, but I, 
I was, I'm the youngest of four and my parents wanted to get us out of the city. And so I'm the child that, you know, I had to go through this entire school system in this rural redneck town. And, the, you know, it's predominantly white, only a few black people. And there was a lot of prejudice there. And, you know, my family, we interacted with everyone. You know, my, my parents had friends of all different cultures and particularly white Italians. <clears throat> and so I being four or five years old, I wasn't sure what was going on. I would you know, have people turn my hand over and be, oh, the inside of your hand is the same color as my hand. But what was more shocking was that because I was light skinned, some of the, the and the black people that we did have were dark complected. There was a lot of prejudice with that as well. And so I there there was the there was both sides there. And so I, I had an early lesson of just how people are. There's not this this one picture that people want to present to you, especially in the media or when they when they have a subject they want to talk about. There's other sides to the story. And so by the time I got to be a teenager, one of the things I wanted to work on is is be a person that could be approachable to all and get to know people of of, of all cultures and social statuses because the people that had become my friends were the white wealthy kids. You know, and and so it wasn't until I was in my 30s where, you know, I had a black circle of friends. <laughs> you know? um, but anyhow, at the end of my school year, at the end of my school year in that situation, I got voted the most liked, not the cheerleaders, the blonde and blue eyed girls and stuff like they probably were mad at me. But they, my, my peers voted me the most liked person. Wow. What, <laughs> what an honor that is to be like, yeah, that's right. It's not about being uh, uh, the stereotypical uh, popular girl. I mean, we grew up in an era where a lot of the movies and TV shows that were kind of um, popular at the time um, were definitely showcasing the most popular kids as being the blonde haired, blue eyed, Football yes. I, yes, um, player yes, and cheerleader, yes. um, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's what, that's why it's so surprising to me. Yeah, yeah, and and I and I think that's super important because we didn't really grow up in an era where um, uh, you know the minority student would be voted the most popular. So that's a huge um, that's a huge credit to how your personality is that you overcame that sort of racial and um, gender actually, right? Because usually the most popular kids that I went to school with were like the boys, right? That's right. The football players. <laughs> right. So how, um, how interesting is it that we also grew up in an era where um, there was this big movement about um, not seeing color? And, um, you know, we were, we started getting, you know, more and more, uh, quote unquote, black music, I want to say like hip hop, um, and, uh, you know, just R and B was, was really coming into, um, the billboard 100 in a much more popular way than it ever did. Um, you know, in this, in the sixties and things like that. Um, what do you think about that whole idea that, um, we were kind of, or were you in your community? Did you hear that a lot that, oh, I don't see color. And how did that affect you as a person of color in those days? So like I said, I mean, the, the the black kids, you know, because I was light complected, you know, that was the issue. You know, they called me names, yellow and things like that. And then by the time I got to high school, my mother was an English drama major. So by the time I got to high school, then it was a whole different um let's cut you down another way. You're talking white. Um, and so I thought, well, what does that mean? My mom taught me the English language. <laughs> you know? And so, and then, like I said, mostly the, the people right. who accepted <laughs> the people who accepted me were the wealthy white kids because my my father was affluent okay and so the people that accepted me were the wealthy white kids and so they they too would find you know they would they would be in these groups talking about black people in that stereotypical way and they'd either forget that I was there or they'd say if they if they recognized that I was there then they'd be able we're not talking about you and so that's why again like I'm saying you know, people need to understand that there there is a way that people perceive you collectively. Now, it's your choice if you want to go about life and be like that. Me personally, I don't want to fall into a stereotype.
stereotype. I want people to get to know me for who I am. But because I was part of those conversations, you know, those, those, those kids, those white kids, like, I don't know if they're getting it from their parents or, or their grandparents or what have you, but that's how they saw black people at that time, you know, and I, maybe it was a testament to my race. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I didn't mean it for, for that to be that way. Hopefully as they got older to, be more accepting of black people and see black people differently. I mean, do you feel like we're moving in that direction with the, um, with the presence of social media? Like I'm curious how, um, how your son um, was his experience that you could tell, obviously you are not your son, but uh, could you, could you tell that his experience was different or was it similar to yours? That's a whole nother ball game. I mean, he's married and his, his wife is a teacher and I don't want to call anybody out, but there's hopefully, I don't know if she'll be listening to this podcast, but you know, by the time he got in first grade, she did not want to educate him. She said that, you know, she didn't have time that I needed to homeschool him. And so my son spent most of his time being homeschooled because he was dyslexic. And, um, and then just being a black male, that's the thing. That's why I wanted to do this magazine for men to, to help our young men of color, especially now with what's going on in the news, but that's another story. Um, they, they, they need positive role models and those role models don't always have to be, you know, bouncing a basketball, you know, you can go and get an education and get a degree in STEM or something like that, or, you know, be a businessman or whatever. Um, but that's, that's all our black men, our men of color get told, you know, you can go and, you know, dribble a ball. And like that lady said, you know, shut up and dribble or whatever. That's how people see you. That's derogatory. And so I don't, I don't feel like we've really changed because the, the thing of it is, I mean, I know people have this glorious view that, oh, you know, we can do away with prejudice and racism. You can't because the fact of it is, is that it's an individual thing and people will go through life. They're either be taught that way and they won't change, you know, or they weren't raised that way, but something will happen to them. And because of that one incident, they blame everybody else. And that's just, it's human nature. That's how we are, you know? And so, yeah, we can sit here and say, you know, each person can do this, this, and this. And so that's why I choose to live my life the way I will, the way I do, but that's a choice. It's, it's a choice to not be prejudiced and a choice to be prejudiced. And so that's why it's not going anywhere. People are going to continue to have these issues. And like I said, there was prejudice within my own race. There's, there's, there's skin prejudice. And I'm not the only race that has that skin prejudice that you know, other cultures have told me that there's a skin prejudice in their race as well, light versus dark. And so, you know, people don't like red hair. <laughs> people don't like people who are, you know, heavy set or considered plus size where, you know, there's all kinds of ways to discriminate. And so that's just not going to go anywhere. And so for my son, he just feels more comfortable. Like he told me, you know, he feels more comfortable when he's around, you know, when there's some black people around, he doesn't feel comfortable. And his wife is white. He doesn't feel comfortable when they go somewhere and he's the only black person in the room. Yeah. I've, I've definitely heard that before. And, and also, um, you know, gosh, that's really an interesting way to look at the, the, the world, because, um, I guess, you know, one of the whole reasons that, I really felt compelled to do this podcast is because I feel like, well, first of all, our generation, if we take it in a different ism and put it into ageism, you know, our generation was kind of not really added into conversations um, with uh, uh, about, you know, student loan debt or like the environment or, or anything like that. Um, do you think that ageism is, um, is a lot like racism in that like, um, that would be also um, a really hard thing to to diminish in our society because it is so personalized and, and from such personal experience. It is because on LinkedIn, I've had people, you know, of our generation come to me and complain about what, in quotes, the younger generation, right? And so that's one of the reasons why I decided to mentor these college students, because maybe I could be a solution to the problem. And maybe there'd be one or two kids (laughs) that I could help so that when they do get into the workforce, they won't be that stigma of, you know, not wanting to work and being told what to do and handheld and coddled and so forth and so forth. All these complaints that I get. And then I once was a young person, you know, I I asked my parents at 15, could I work? And they had to sign a work permit for me and, and 
there was this lady, Kathy Kinski. She took me under her wing and showed me how to, she was an entrepreneur. She, she owned all these different businesses and she showed me how to run a business. You know, as because of her, I was able to go in and get other jobs and, and be given a lot of responsibility that usually national companies don't give a regular employee. They only give it to managers, but they would give it to me because, you know, I showed up. She, she showed me how, plus my own parents and their work ethic as well, coupled with her taking a chance on me as a young person, you know, and so I just feel like like instead of complaining about the young people, because even even my kids that I mentioned, they said, you know, thank you for telling us. Thank you for bringing it out. So that so again, that feeds into has anybody been saying anything to these young people? Are you just putting it out in the air? They're lazy. They're this, you know, when you encounter one, are you helping that one? Are you are you finding a respectful way? to tell them about themselves, to help them. And it's up to them. They may not receive it, fine. But did you open your mouth right. and say something? Yeah, did you make it in um, something that they could be aware of? Because one thing that we know as older folks is is just the realization of just how um, self-centered we can be when we're young. And it's not a negative thing. It's just the way it is. The way it is. Yes. Self-absorbed. Yes. You're, you're self-absorbed and it's not necessarily a negative thing. It's just, it's just kind of navigating life, right? Because even if you were to think about it in terms of like, um, you know, living, living in, in, um, you know, caves in, 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 you know, prehistoric times I'm, or, or whatever. I'm not like an anthropologist, so I don't know the right time that it is. But <laughs> what I mean is, you know, when you were in your teens and, and 20s, you were, you know, you were already kind of learning how to be independent. And I think that that's still in our DNA, you know, this sort of self-preservation, self-identity um, sort of walk that we take when we're younger. Like I have, I have um, lots of friends who have kids at this point, because I didn't have kids. So I, I get to watch my nieces and nephews and friends, kids, and I watch them go from, you know, so many different kinds of um, identity um, uh, trials, I guess. I don't know how to put it, but where they're, they're kind of, they're trying on different identities and they're navigating the world in different ways, especially um, children that are from mixed races, right? Like they, they might, go from, you know, really embracing their white side to really embracing their black side to maybe even taking a completely different religious, um, you know, Islamic right. side because mm -hmm. they have black friends that are embracing that side. And, and I think that that's, if you think about that's where they are, of course, they're not going to think about whether or not they, they answered an email, um, at, at, you know, at the right time or had the right response in a meeting, which is why we as kind of the elders now, which sounds kind of funny to say, but we, we are now, is that it really is our job to sort of mentor the youth and explain how you can't take an hour lunch break and not tell your manager where you're going and, 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 and just those kind of things. Because I work at a university and so all of my employees are either student workers or they're fresh out of college and it's their first, you know, salary job. You know, these are the kind of things that you you take for granted as an older person um, or coming from a family who's like super instilled that into you. Um, but I don't remember taking that stuff very seriously either as a, a young person, even though my family had a pretty strong work ethic. Um, but yeah. So one thing that I wonder about is because um, I've talked about this with with uh, some of my guests that have represented represented Generation Z, um, which is, you know, they're they're now kind of in their 20s. They're just now getting into, you know, graduating college and, and, and joining the workforce. And that is, um, do we really need elders, Eileen, now that we have the Internet where you could literally YouTube any topic about anything and see like a TED talk about it. And yeah, I, I don't know how to answer that question because because we, because there is the internet. That's an interesting thing that you pose there because I never thought about that. 
Um, there, so, so for me personally, now that you said that the internet exists, TEDx talks and things of that nature, but these, these college students coming to me, they still don't have a clue. And, and what's going on is there's this lady I'm connected with on LinkedIn. She does this thing. Well, because I, I don't like this, this whole cancel culture type thing. It gets, I don't really understand it, but anyhow, you know, so now these young people, instead of owning up to being better at their job. Now there's, now they want to call it a talks at work culture. And just like you said, you took an hour lunch and didn't tell me about it, you know, and I don't, I don't know. I've been sitting here not on this conversation, but just in general, trying to figure out where is this, where, where is this part of our lives where we start to transition to, to think about these things? Is it, is it as a 16 to 21 year old, is that the growth spurt where we start trying to get into our minds and think about the things we do, you know, um, because I just don't buy it. I mean, when I was young, you know, I, I knew better, I knew better not to do those things. And so I, you know, I don't, no, is was it my parents? You said you you came from a good work ethic, but you didn't think about those things. So again, is it the mentality of the person? I, you know, I I really don't know how to answer that. But now because they don't want to own up to showing up with work with flip flops on and being late and taking an hour lunch, now it's a toxic work culture. And I don't know how to get the point across that you know, no, you do need to take a shower and put on fresh clothes and show up to work on time <laughs> and be prepared for that meeting. Right. And it's not being toxic, but, you know, I wonder if we, we, so we went from, and, and, and I don't know if this is how you grow up, Eileen, but, you know, I was a latchkey kid. And, um, one of the reasons work ethic was, was, was pretty instilled was, um, at one point my mom did work three jobs, you know, just to put really terrible food on the table, <laughs> even if it's Chef Boyardee. And, um, mm. you know, I mean, um, but, but like we, we, I came from a world where um, I was super independent, but I was also to be seen and not heard. Um, there was a lot of abuse. Abuse seemed to be so prevalent in our generation that, you know, um, my story seemed to be a dime a dozen in terms of um, abuse. Maybe there's levels of it that are different, you know, but I know, um, that we, we went from that kind of collective cultural acceptance to, um, being helicopter parents. And, um, and of course I can't speak for myself, but I was a teacher for 10 years. So I got to see a lot of helicopter parenting, you know, like, where do you get your, where do you come off saying this about my student when, you know, looking at my degrees on the wall and, and questioning that? Whereas I don't remember anybody doing that in the 80s and, and um, you know, early 90s. Um, is that is that part of, have we empowered the youth in ways that our generation and before never were? They're, in a negative that's way. The thing. Like, right. They have, they Right. They have a power that we don't have, even with that. I don't know what year it was, but even with that 911 number, you know, you know, um, threatening parents that way. You know, and, and we, you know, we know there's a given things do happen. I'm not saying that. But then also these children know, like these teachers, too, they can't lay a hand on these on these kids, but they can lay a hand on them. And so they know that they've been empowered in ways that, you know, I I don't, I don't know what the, I don't know what the answer is, but they know that they have a power. And so now they're out there, they're out there speaking about how corporations who run their businesses for generations. Now it's a problem because now they want to come in and be different. Yeah. And, and, and really kind of dismantle. I mean, it's almost pretty punk rock. I mean, there's a part of me that gets a little excited about seeing um, one of one of my guests called it the last gasps of the patriarch um, as we see, you know, more and more um, questioning authority and questioning the hierarchy of of of, you know, um, corporations and businesses. But but I wonder you know, the pendulum swing, right? Like we, we went from being like, um, uh, I mean, it's not that long ago that we had a child workforce, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, it's not that long ago that we didn't have a 40 hour work week and weekends. It really wasn't that long ago. I mean, that's something that, you know, our grandparents fought for. I mean, that, you know, our, of our generation, our grandparents, um, but I wonder if the pendulum now is going to swing so far over 
where, you know, I, I, for instance, my, my brother, um, he, he works for, um, a company that does code for, um, airplanes taking off. And he said that because of, um, this whole year and a half of people being able to work from home, they can't find applicants to, um, to come in three times a week, Eileen, three times a week, because they're all saying, nope, I want 100% work from home. I'm like, oh, oh I can't goodness. imagine declining oh a job yeah. because they won't let me have yeah. like a five-day weekend. Like, I mean, yeah. not that people that work from yes. home have a weekend. I'm not, I'm not really saying that. But I mean, if I have a choice to work from home and not wear makeup and be with my dog and my cat, you know, but I would never say that, you know, <laughs> like, that's so crazy to me. It is. Yes, I agree. Now with women's quarterly, um, do you, do you, you said you have a team and, um, and it's your kind of your brainchild. Do you have a certain, um, expectation of keeping a certain hierarchy? Like, okay, I'm, I'm this person. And then I have, I mean, or do you feel like being such an, um, open-minded person that has this collaborative, um, young spirit that, that the youth are saying, cause there's gotta be something to that, right? There's energy, but then there's also something else. Um, can you speak to like how, how you kind of run your, your business ice media? Like how does that kind of function in terms of, do you, is it, is it more classic in terms of the hierarchy or are you seeing yourself being open to people on the bottom rung having just as much of a say or input as maybe you and people that are right, right below you. Does that make sense? What I'm trying to ask? I, I believe so. I'll try to answer it. <laughs> um, I, I, I was in operations management for over 20 years. And, 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 and one of the things that I do is, um, or that I did during that time is I empower people. I would hire people that, you know, would come to me that couldn't get hired. They'd have some sort of learning disability, um, maybe they were ADD or ADHD or dyslexic or whatever, and people wouldn't hire them. And I would work with those people. Like, if you come to me and you want to work, then I can work with you. But if you if you don't want to work, you want to be lazy, I can't work with you. Because it was my job to make sure that companies made money, made quotas. And so I hired, I fired, I trained and things of that nature. So um, in my own company, it's the same thing. Um, if I know how to do something, I need for you to know how to do it. Now, my role in my in Ice Mean Entertainment is is consultant because I want to make sure that I am, you know, listening to because that's my strength. I I want to make sure that I'm listening to what the client's needs are, and so I have to sit in on those meetings. The people that do the work, now that's on you. I don't. I'm not. I'm not micromanaging. I'm not hovering over you. If I have to do that. I don't want you. And and going back to the young kids, some of them come in, they, they want to be independent, but they require micromanaging. And so this last internship that I did over the COVID, the summer of 2020, I had to like, reinvent myself. I had to become a micromanager and I hated it, but that was the only way to get things done because these young people require micromanagement. They don't want you hanging over them, but at the same time, you have to sort of piece everything to them. One steps, one, two, three. The people that I employ that work for me, I don't have to do that because why? I don't want to do that. If I have to do that, I don't need you. So, um, you know, I, you know, I, I empower people to do things. So with Women's Quarterly, same thing. You know, we send out generic emails because a lot of people, they know I'm the publisher and they pull that. They want to come and message me on Instagram or wherever thinking that I'm going to uh, give them a different answer. And so the email that we send out is, this is a group email box, (laughs) whether it's the editors, the marketing people, whoever, we're all going to tell you the same answer. Now you can go to our publisher, Eileen, but she'll probably tell you the same thing. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I totally get that. Cause I have a, a, a situation at work where it's like, you know, just because my student worker told you something doesn't mean you're going to have a different answer when you come to me, the manager, like it, they're, they're really, the continuity of message is so important in a business. Um, and it also empowers those who aren't in your position, right? Like that's, that's the dream, right? If so, the opposite of micromanaging is um, being self-sufficient and independent so that if you're not there for a week, right, like, which you should, you should be able to take a week off. That's right. That the, you know, 
shit doesn't go down in flames just because you're not there. But there is such a fine line between micromanaging and um, and independence, uh, or sorry, micromanaging and um, how do I want to say it? Because I because I know exactly what you mean. Like you don't you you also don't want to give them so much power that no one thinks that you need to be there. So, I mean, have you ever had anyone be like, well, I don't know what she does at work because I'm doing all this? No, because I, I create assembly lines, well, well oiled machines. And I tell people, you know, whether it's an intern coming in or somebody, you know, a, a client or whatever, that's how we work. So, so if each person does their part, then the job gets done. So, you don't, so you're not worrying about who does what because you do your part, I'm going to do my part, and the job is done. Now, if you drop the ball, that's on you and stuff doesn't get done. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My boy, father was my father was, creation, my right? Father that's was one a of dr- the big things. No. What I was going to say was my father was a drill sergeant for the 82nd Airborne, and he taught me how to be strategic. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. That is, whoo, what a, what a, what a, what a remarkable leader that must have been in the household and just in life. Oh my gosh. So (laughs) that's wow. So obviously you have to soften how you speak to people though, right? So um, you wouldn't be able to talk the way that your dad would talk to, to people underneath him. How did you cultivate that fine line of um, getting people to listen to you and have these processes laid out um, so that people could trust and just go with the with the with the assembly line, to use your words. So same with my dad. I mean, believe it or not, I mean, being he a, a drill instructor. Well, yeah, well, same with my dad. I mean, believe it or not, you know, like now when he was in the army, I don't know about that, but just if he was also the um, the East Coast inspector for the U.S. Postal Service as well. So, you know, he had to have an authoritative voice when he needed to, to assert himself. And so I learned that from him as well. You can, you see, see, you know, people, people go through life demanding respect. And, and when you're really in a position of authority, you've already earned that respect. Okay. And so people respect me when I walk into a room and I'm not blowing my own horn by me saying this. It's just something that I learned from him. I don't go through life, you know, demanding respect. I get respect because I am respectable. I respect you. You respect me. And then in situations where I need to assert myself, he taught me how to do that. And so when I need to get something done, I assert myself to get done what I need to get done. But I don't need to go through life being bullied and having a, a an aggressive tone of voice. I keep my voice very easy even tone. Yeah. Well, uh, is your, was your dad a part of the silent generation or was he a boomer? Do you, do you know what year he was born? He was was born in the early thirties, early thirties. So he's from the silent generation. Um, that's, that's really interesting because, um, that's, that means that you were raised by now, I mean, not to define people by their generations, but that's kind of what we do on this podcast to, 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 to shed the light that like, here's concept, here's some conceptions or mis mis misconceptions of people in different age groups. Right. But, um, those from the silent generation, uh, cause I was raised by my grandpa and my mom, right. At different times. So my mom was a boomer. My grandpa was silent generation. He was in the uh, Korean war in the Navy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, they, I was taught, you know, that's another part of that whole work ethic thing, but it definitely wasn't about, um, how do I say this? Like, um, you earn respect and you don't demand respect, right? So I feel like that is a little different mentality. It seems like in, um, some of the younger generations that came after the silent generation is like, um, it, some people that are in power almost feel like, I, I'm in power. I don't need you to respect me. Exactly. Uh, or, I mean, sorry, it's already, it's already done. Like you, like you said, like you're in a position, people are already going to pay attention. But what I wonder is, don't you kind of have to work to keep that respect, right? So you can't just um, be the boss of something and just expect everyone's like, oh yeah, she's the boss. You, It's almost um, an active role that like um, an active job that you have to do, right? You have to actively make sure that your team is happy. And I want to ask you, Eileen, how how much time do you take to um, do team building? And do you feel like that is more of a 
focal point in today's business than it ever was when you and I were coming up? Every Monday we meet for team building every Monday and every Friday I leave, I do an email blast of some sort of positive message for the weekend. Um, Now, one of the first companies I worked for, and people can argue this or whatever they want to, but um, one of the first companies I worked for was the Marriott Corporation. And that was something, you know, we did that every single day. Every, every day. Yeah, every oh my morning, goodness. Like, like every morning, every morning you, you have a, you know, a team huddle, you know, team meet, team huddle, team meet, you know, this is the expectation. You know, we want our clients to be, you know, look like I'm doing my hand. I'm doing my, one of my, my backhand to the, the, to the palm of the other hand. Right, right, right. This is what we want. This is the expectation, you know, there'd be that, there'd be five, 10, 15 minute huddle. Come on. This is, this is, you know, and, and even now I, I'm a little snooty when I go and stay somewhere else. I'm I am pissed off with the front desk, but if I go stay at a Marriott, I get, you know, I, and I hate to use that word respect again, but I mean, I get that, you know, but I go in another hotel, you know, they blow you off. They're this, your room, da, 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 you know, and the restaurant people and the, and the, and the, and the housekeeping people be great. Front desk sucks. Go into a Marriott hotel. I don't have a problem. <laughs> Well, I worked for the Hilton for a couple of years and I'll tell you, there you go. See, um, Hilton, that's I, one. I, I would <laughs> challenge you to come. <laughs> no, but Hey, Eileen, to be honest though, there's a reason I don't work with the Hilton anymore and I'll just leave it at that. But <laughs> exactly. See, 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 exactly. I may have been the only one that took that really seriously, but, um, well, you know what? I, I want to, I want to kind of dissect that a little bit, um, Eileen, because, um, I wonder if there's a difference between, um, team rallying and kind of planning and making sure everyone's on the same page versus, um, how was your weekend? What are you doing this weekend? (laughs) Um, having team happy hours, having dinner together, having lunch together, because that seems to be um, requested more of my employees than even four years ago. Mm-hmm. Do you guys do anything like that, or is it? Do you keep it pretty professional? I I, I keep it pretty professional. Um, if for me personally, if someone wants to talk, they've got something going on, then that's, you know, the doors open for them to talk about that. I am very transparent. I mean, I don't like, like on my Instagram feed, like I may not be telling all, cause that's one of the reasons why I never really like Facebook. Cause people are like, I'm at Burger King, I'm in the ER. And it's like, okay, if you're at the ER, you need to, you need to pay attention to that. You don't need to be, you know, posting that on Facebook, you know, but, um, aside from being, aside from being too personal, um, I, I go through life transparent. I go through life. I'm not ashamed. I don't have anything to hide. And so I say these things to my staff. If I've got something going on with my mom or I had to deal with depression or whatever it is, they, they know that about me, that I'm real. I show up, I work, but then I've got stuff I got to deal with too. I I've had to overcome problems and that's why they can look up to me and, and maybe in their own lives as well when they're going through something because somebody else has actually been through it and is still showing up every day. You know, I'm so glad you brought that up because um, I had a really interesting conversation with one of my friends the other night and they were saying how, um, you know, hearing a story about um, overcoming adversity from someone who may be perceived as a strong person um, could, could actually make people feel worse because they don't have that, that same drive. What do you think about hearing something like that? Cause I'm going to tell you to me, that almost feels like, Oh boy, this is like the downfall of society. If we are no longer allowed to um, show how we are like a Phoenix that has risen out of, um, you know, the challenges of life is cause we don't want to make other people feel bad if they can't do it themselves. I guess it's all in your delivery um, because that's, you know, that's, that's the thing. Like when you're dealing with people and then you the written word texting and stuff like that. So it's all in your delivery. It's all in the tone of your voice and things of that nature. So I can only speak on, on the people around me and my students. They, they respect that. They, they, um, they celebrate that and it helps them to 
whatever it is that they're dealing with. Because again, it's it's up to them to share it. They're going through something, but they're able to take what I tell them and and and, and move forward. My daughter-in-law said that I'm very nurturing. I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not. So maybe I have a nurturing way about myself. Which again, your first question. Maybe that's why those age groups sort of. You know, maybe maybe they're drawn to me because maybe I have some sort of not, not so much as youthful energy, but maybe it's nurturing as well. Yeah, which kind of brings us, you know, this is man, Eileen, I knew you were a cool lady, but I did not know we would we would have this much fun talking together because this I feel like there's a whole bunch of weaving in and out of the same kind of, um, you know, topics. But this kind of brings it back to of the whole um, do we really need elders in our society? And I'll tell you what, if, if nothing else, um, if people are drawn to you because they find you nurturing, that to me says right there that we do still need elders because young people still need to be nurtured and they look to people to nurture whatever it is inside of them that, that makes them feel like they can be a better person in life. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, I hope it is the case because that's why I do what I do. And I hope I am able to help, you know, people. I just recently had a student who she, she couldn't do the internship in the beginning of the year. She asked to come back to the summer. She came back for the summer and she, she still did not do well. Now I could have, you know, beat her up for that and blah, 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 you know, dogmatic, whatever. I chose to say every single positive phrase I could think of. And she said, you know what? I'm so glad I came back. Thank you for this experience. Wow. Yeah, that's terrific. Because even if she didn't fulfill the exact thing, at least she found compassion in, in someone in leadership. And I'm sure that she's going she's gonna to remember that and, and maybe give that back to someone someday that might need that as well. Yes, I hope so. Pass it forward. Yeah, <laughs> 100%. 100%. Um, anyway, I want to kind of go back a little bit more to um, Women's Quarterly. Um, I just want to say thank you for um, having me in one of your episodes. That was pretty cool. Um, or not episodes, sorry, um, issues. Um, I just want to say that um, having a positive woman sisterhood um, in, in my Instagram feed is just, is just so wonderful. And, um, and you really do have um, just such a, a big array of, of the kinds of women. It's multi-generational, multi-ethical or uh, ethnic. Um, where do you find the people to be in Women's Quarterly? How do, you, how do you go about collecting? Because, you know, some magazines are like, it's definitely geared toward, you know, teenagers or preteens or right. Like when we were growing up, it was like, you know, teen beat was for a certain age group. And then you kind of moved on to 17 and then you kind of moved on to cosmopolitan or, or sassy or <laughs> one of those old school magazines. Um, but yours seems to be open to a lot more uh, diversity in terms of age and, um, and, and uh, uh, ethnicity, I guess is what I should say. And, 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 and also too, it's not about like making sure that your man feels that, you, you know, you're the one for him. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's a really positive woman's magazine. How do you go about fighting people? <laughs> oh my goodness. It's funny about the man part because, okay, so I, I'm not big on TV or, you know, re- reading magazines or anything like that. Um, Woman's Quarterly has been a website for years. I, I think maybe 2016 because my sister died just before that. So I spent like a year or so buying Cosmo magazines and I just would buy them. I just would buy them. And, you know, every single one that that, that I got had something about a man, please your man, this is how to catch a man, isn't it? And so, and I had my, whatever my, whoever my interns were at the time, I had them giggling because I told them this story. I said, I took, one day I just took the magazines and I laid them out. I have a California King bed. I laid them out. And not only was every single person the cover looked the same, but, but there was always this stuff about men. I said, so what, what, what women, we, we can't deal without having a man. Like what, like what, what's the perception here? Like what, you know? <laughs> so, um, you know, now, now my thing is, 
okay, when you talk to marketing specialists, and I don't want to, and marketing gurus, and I don't want to, you know, throw shade on anybody, but they they have this textbook way of being, and you got to do this, and this, and this, and who's your, who's your target audience, da, 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 da. And I, and I get frustrated, and I stop talking to them, because they always want to act like they know more than me, and you, you know, you got to find out this, and this, and this, and maybe that is true, but at the end of the day, and I'm probably going to offend somebody, I don't know, I don't mean to, I'm not one of those type of people, but at the end of the day, here's what I feel. If you have a vagina, you can come and play. You know, you got a vagina. It shouldn't matter whether or not you, your skin is black, brown, white, purple, whatever. You've got a vagina and you're trying to figure out how to map out your life, you know? And, and so what does that mean? We need money. Women need money. We need to show up in our career. We need a pay raise. We maybe want a side hustle. Maybe we want to start a business. And so that really is the focus. When you start a project, you might be talking about all kinds of different things that, you know, because, you know, a lot of things affect women. Like, our, so I feel like our insides, like how we feel about ourselves, when we look in the mirror, do we like ourselves? All that plays a role in our confidence, which will play a role in how we go out about life. Can we get that raise? Can we, you know, do we feel confident to, you know, start a business and things like that? So that's why we talk about the different subjects. But if you have vagina or you identify as a woman, then the, the magazine is for you. And so that's why so many women of different ages and races are coming to us because evidently that is the message. Yeah. And it's such a breath of fresh air because yeah, you're a hundred percent right. Like the whole reason I went through this whole phase of anti-magazines, anti-women magazines in college and I shaved my head and, and my listeners know that I, 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 I went through uh, you know, pretty uh, riot girl, punk rock um, feminist, um, which I mean, it's still kind of a part of me. I just, I grew my hair out, but it's great. And I'm proud of it. Um, but you know, I, I'm not, I don't need to, I don't want to pick up a magazine and be told the same, you know, five ways to please your man in bed and hear, you know, all these sexy outfits, because that's what we already did. This is almost like your magazine is almost now like, okay, what do you read after Cosmo? After you are into that whole, you know, superficial thing, what's, what's after that? I mean, you know, in the olden days, what was it? Good housekeeping. You know, like I don't want to. I don't want to go to that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that's that's like all or red red book. Do you remember red book? Like yes. that was also yes. a magazine that my you know my grandma had, right? And it's like, no, I'm still I'm still fighting for my career. I'm still you know I'm doing the podcast. I'm doing all this stuff. Um, you know, I'm still living, I'm still, I'm still trying to better myself. Um, you know, and I know that that, that is a progression of life, um, from, from maybe the time that you uh, start becoming a woman to maybe the time you die. Like, this is like, I feel like women's quarterly is like the magazine for that whole stretch of time. Not saying that you can't read, you know, good housekeeping. I'm not saying that. But at the same time, not all of us are trying to cook, you know, Halloween cookies for a PTA meeting or something like that. I know I'm getting really like old school 80s reference here, but you know what I'm talking about, Eileen. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Which doilies go good with, uh, you know, your your crate and barrel couch. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't sure because, like, again. Again, I don't have a lot of women around me or whatever, so I wasn't sure how this would be perceived. But for, but but I, I just it's not about me, but I just have to take what I know. And as a woman, I'm all about my my dollars, my my cookies, my 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 pennies, my coins, my whatever, right? You know, and because it doesn't matter with a man, without a man, whatever, you still got to keep a roof over your head. You still got to go out here and navigate. You got to, you got to, you got to pay for water, bottle water costs, you know? So, you know, I just feel like, you know, women need to get serious about their money, their coins, you know, people, you know, I got interviewed on a radio station before and a guy asked me this question and I was like, I didn't know how to answer because I didn't want to offend anybody because at the end of the day, I never had a problem asking for what I thought I was worth. But I feel like other women do that are complaining about it because they don't know how to, they don't have the confidence to do it. You know what I mean? They don't know what they're worth. And so that's why this magazine like this, you know, the first three issues, um, January, April, July, we feature women and what they're doing. But this last issue that's coming out in October, it's, it's my magazine. It's all about money, 
career finance, things I feel like women need to know about. <gasps> Yay! I can't wait. Oh, I can't wait to read that. Thank you. Thank you. I, I'm, I want, I'm all about that. I'm all about keeping the coin. That's for sure. <laughs> Okay, because men dominate for a reason. There's nothing. I'm. I'm not. Okay, somebody's gonna be mad at me because I'm. If I say this, but I'm not a feminist. Okay, but but you know what I'm saying is, but men do dominate for a reason. It's because they they have the money. They have the money. Those women who stay in abusive marriages because they maybe they didn't finish school. They didn't go to college. You know, because why the man, the man, the man, the man. And so I just feel like women need to, you know. Um, I'm not saying you got to go pick it or anything like that, but you know, you need to be thinking about your coins. But you know what, Eileen, you are a feminist because the very definition of feminism is that women should be paid the same as men. Okay. So all this other weird Nazi bullshit that came out in the like, you know, the, the man hating, cause I've never hated men. I'm not sexist. I I I hate sexist jokes. Like, um, you know. I, I have so many good men in my life that are brothers and they are for the cause and they believe in, um, you know, equality, gender equality. And, and I would never just brushstroke like, oh, you know, I, I hate men. I would never be like that because let's face it, um, reverse anything, reverse sexism or reverse racism or reverse ageism. None of that is going to get us forward. Right. Exactly. So, Exactly. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. So if anyone else is really um, excited about um, this, this, uh, this magazine, and especially thinking about how women can empower themselves in terms of finance and fashion and careers and whatever, um, where can where can people find Women's Quarterly, Eileen? We shortened it. So it's WQ magazine.com wqmagazine.com so they can go to the website and click on the navigation at the top you know write for us tell us your story contact us all that's up there at the top navigation awesome and where can people drink some of your positive nurturing social media energy eileen <laughs> do, do they want mine or the magazine i mean if they if they if they want uh if they want mine, they go to I-L-E-N-E, my name, Eileen, dot C-A-R-O-L um, on Instagram. Or if they want to go, you know, visit Women's Quarterly, it's all spelled out for that. It's, you know, woman spelled out, Women's Positive Quarterly. Wonderful. Okay, Eileen, um, we have gotten to the part of the podcast, what we call rapid fire questions, in which Uh I'm going to give you a series of questions and you're going to answer them as quickly as you can. Are you ready? Okay. Okay. (laughs) Here we go. All right, Eileen, what's your favorite? (laughs) What's your favorite memory from childhood? Okay, this is a little bit long. My sister, when I was four years old, that's the year that they came out with that Wonder Woman show. And I thought I was Wonder Woman. And my sister was six, almost seven yes. years older than me. Yes. She took a cardboard box and drew on it, made it look like Wonder Woman's airplane. And she would push me around in it. <gasps> wow. That is so awesome. Because as the listeners know, I um, I did a whole thing on how um, in my last uh, or a couple episodes ago, that I haven't watched the Gal Gadot Wonder Woman because Linda Linda Carter for life. She was I was spinning around in the living room during the the opening sequence of that show. It was such a huge part of my childhood. And your sister, man, she did right by you. That sounds awesome. Um, what is your favorite '80s band or musician? Joan Jets and the Blackhearts. Oh, wow. That's so punk rock of you, Eileen. I love that. No one has said that yet. Um, what is your favorite 80s movie? Ferris Bueller's Day Off. <laughs> oh, classic. Awesome. And why did you go to college? Everything that I wanted to do required a degree to go, you know? So, you know, um, so I went to college. And then finally, Eileen, if you could give advice to anyone from any generation, be it younger, older, or even within the Gen X generation, um, either to get through life or just for the, to get through the dark times. And this one, you can take a little longer to answer if you'd like. Um, What advice would that be? Well, you know, 
life is not this cookie cutter thing that we see on TV and the movies. And I think that I, I personally had to assess my own self that I realized that I've been brainwashed. Just like you said, when we were growing up, we saw certain people on TV and the magazines. And so I think that, you know, it's okay to be who you are and to figure out who that is. You know, if, if you're depressed and, you know, because there's a stigma behind that. That's why my sister couldn't get help because my family, there was a big stigma. Um, if you're scrolling through Facebook or Instagram, you're looking at everybody with the duck faces and whatever, you know, and you're looking at your face and your nose, you know, um, we, we got to get to a point where we love ourselves and be our true authentic self and know who we are so that we can, you know, feel good about ourselves because there's so much that we've, absorb through TV, media, social media, whatever, that keeps us from moving forward and liking who we are and figuring out who we are. We need to figure out who we are and be okay with it. Oh, Eileen, I absolutely love that. And I think that is such an important thing because as we know, um, all generations are suffering from that and have been for many, many years now. Um, be it TV, magazine, or so. Well, Eileen, thank you so much for um, finally being able to weave me into your amazing busy life and coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. You, you actually got a whole hour out of me too. Kudos for you. <laughs> Thanks for listening. And if you think this is worth listening to, please subscribe, share, and leave a review. Be kind to each other, listen to each other, and let's stop being separated by our differences. I don't want to be an army.